Well, welcome once again. I was just asked to read scripture. My name's Brett. I'm still one hey, of the Brett. pastors here. They haven't gotten rid of me yet. <laughs> that would have been awkward if they had gotten rid of me during like the last uh, three minutes. Let's stand. Uh, if, you're, if you're able to stand comfortably, let's stand for the scripture reading. Today's reading's from Genesis. Early on, Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and all the beasts of the, sky, of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you remain standing as we pray? Lord, my prayer this morning is simple, that as we talk about living in this world, as we talk about the things that we do to establish order, as we talk about work this morning, Lord, my prayer is simple, that we would see things as you see them, Lord. Enlighten us, encourage us. Lift us up, Lord, to yourself. We pray in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God's people shouted. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks for being here. Uh, I have four little boys. If you have kids, do your kids ask a lot of questions, like why questions? Like, why this? Why that? Well, why? Well, why? Well, go ask your mom. And <laughs> we get into these little patterns at our household a couple weeks ago. By the way, all my stories happened a couple weeks ago. So a couple weeks ago, Jay was asking me about why I was going to work. And he said, why do you have to go to work? And, and my simple, quick answer, as maybe uh, your answer would be, uh, just to say, well, I have to provide the you know, house. I have to provide food. See the food you're eating and throwing everywhere and actually not eating? Well, I have to buy that. So... So, you know, show some respect. But anyways, I, that was my first quick answer. And then we just got to like, well, why where are you going today? What do you do? And that morning I happened to be going to meet with someone uh, for breakfast, a guy going through a hard time. And so I kind of just said, you know, generally that. He said, well, well, why is that work? And, and what do you do? And, and what does a pastor do? And then we got into general. Why do people in general have to work? Or what, why is it this way? And it was a very profound conversation between me and my my son, who is eight years old today. So if you see little J-boy, say happy birthday. 
But we talked about work, like what is work? Why do we have to work? And I ended up saying, and I think it's a good answer in the end, and he was satisfied with it as well, that this world is full of disorder. And when we work, we are providing back some sort of order in this world, and that is good. So I will get to the definition of what work is in just a moment, but I've already hinted at it, that work is somehow about reordering things the way the creator meant them to be. So this sermon is a sermon in the paths. Uh, It's one of the sermons in a series called Whole Life. And we're talking about the integrated life that we live together as the church, as Christians, the body of Christ. And I can just say, I'm looking around this room at different people, and I just think we have seen miracles in this community. The community of Christ, amen. Can I get an amen? Like there are, I could tell you, I could name names, but I won't because it would be honoring, but people would be embarrassed. But people in here are sober now, and they've been the soberest, the the longest they've been sober now than if ever before. I could name two people. I won't embarrass them, but to honor them. I could think of guys who are overcoming addictions with online stuff. I could tell you about uh, people going through grief and being lifted up by the church. I could tell you about people going through sicknesses and living with sicknesses and being lifted up. I could tell you other stories about people having sicknesses and being healed amongst us. Praise the Lord. Like this community, what we're doing in church, the whole life of the church, worship, connect, serve, uh, reading the Bible, praying, the life we live together, this is it from death to life. Like there is real life here. Praise the Lord. And so today we're going to be talking about work, what it is we do. And it's going to be a much bigger talk than just your profession. We'll talk about that in just a second. I'll define it for you. But I think sometimes that the integrated part of this sermon is that we often, and we should not, but we often, we shouldn't do it, but we do kind of organize our lives, separate our lives out, and say how we're doing in certain different areas. Like in the area of friends and family, I'm doing pretty good. I just saw my family. I got some good friends. I'm probably doing an A. Uh, in the area of prayer reading and Bible, maybe you were here last week or the week before, and you're like, I've been trying out this prayer thing. Some of you, I've talked to some of you that are reading the Gospel of John. With all last week, the sermon was about reading Scripture, and so I talked about uh, if you don't know where to start, start in the Gospel of John. And some of you did that. So maybe you're like, well, maybe I'm getting a B plus in, in Devos, getting an A plus in friends and family. But then you're like, what about work? And you're like, ugh work. You start rolling your eyes. Jesus isn't there. It's a God-forsaken place when you're stressed. Work brings you just, uh, you think about like the things you have to do at work and you don't like it and you don't see the Lord in it. And yet work is something we spend a lot of our waking days doing. And I would say that that's not a whole life. That's not an integrated life. We can't really separate things out and say, well, these little categories of my life are doing okay, and these little categories, they're going horrible. So I guess, you know, my report card rounds up to a 3.2 GPA, so I guess I'm doing okay. It's like, no, the whole life together needs to be like one after another. These things, we as the church can lift each other up and encourage you. Uh, I I pray that this sermon, there's some sermons that are fire and brimstone. Some sermons are bring us to the altar for repentance. This sermon is 
encouraging. I hope everyone leaves here just encouraged that what you do for work, and I'll define that as as much more than just your profession, what you do for work is partnering with the Lord and bringing his order, and I hope you will be encouraged this morning. This sermon has three points. Count them out. One, two, three. (laughs) First point is the definition of work. I'll talk about that. The second point, we will get to the goodness of work. And then the third point will be realigning our line of work, what we do with the Lord's way. So point number one, I've already said it. What is it? The definition of work. I defined it like this. Um, Work is the things we do to bring order. Quite simple. That's what I I told J-Boy, who's eight years old. I I said, the things we do to bring order. Now, if we were in a science class, we would talk about work being the component of force, direction, motion times the distance on which the force acts. And it's about like the exertion of energy. And certainly our work, the things that we do to accomplish order requires some exertion. But what we're talking about in here, the philosophical definition of work, the theological definition of work is the things we do to bring order, specifically the creator's order. Let's look at these scriptures. We already read them. Um, Genesis chapter one, first book, first chapter, right down to verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they I want to pause here and say, uh, he's, he makes us in his image. Why? Well, there's a reason. There's a purpose to it. So that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. There's a reason why we have been created in the Lord's image. The purpose behind it is so that we would rule. Another verse here, verse 28, skipping down a couple. God bless them. So he makes mankind. Uh, Verse 28, God blesses them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. There's lots of verbs here. Lots of them. Ruling, filling, subduing, being fruitful, taking dominion. It has, these verbs have context of like farming, cultivating, taking care of creation. That somehow the Lord's creation, even in chapter 1, is wild and needing to be brought into cultivation. Needing to be worked. So I'm defining work as the things that that we do to bring order. And that is, of course, much bigger than just our profession. Think about all of us in here that uh, are parents full time or are retired or are students. I think about like student is something you're working, but you actually have to pay to be a student. But yet I'm calling it as a part of this thing, bringing order. It's what you do, the waking hours of your life for work. Think about those of us that do work full time. Think about the time we take to get ready for work, the commute to work. Average American uh, works 47 hours a week and then we get home and then there's work to be done. If you have kids, there's putting them to bed, there's dishes, there's laundry. Some of you are starting to panic just as I mentioned some of these things about, oh, I have so much to do. And this is life. This is work. And I'm going to say in a moment, I'm going to try to encourage you and say that this is actually good. And we can align what we do with the Lord. And to take a very quick rabbit trail, 
that we'll come back to in four weeks. We will talk about Sabbath, but I I figure I would mention it here that we are, as Americans, just my opinion, that we are probably the most workaholic culture the world has ever known. The amount of hours, the never stopping, the continuous cycles of work that we do, the constant researching and fixing and things breaking and we're always working and getting ahead and even the American dream of go, we gotta get it, you gotta go, go, go. And, And we are workaholics as a nation and something needs to be said about Sabbath rest and how we are not slaves to work. We have been given freedom in Christ and we have been given and blessed with days off. A day a week is what the Lord has not just recommended, it's one of the commandments. And so we, if that's something that interests you, that topic, it's something that I think probably interests all of us and we all feel this at times, uh, being overworked. Well, there is rest and that is rest is Good Laziness is bad, but rest is good. In fact, work without rest, that is bad as well. And so in four weeks, I'll be right here in this pulpit talking about Sabbath. But today, let's talk about work. Point number two is this. There is goodness in work. There is goodness in work. I think about this passage we read. Do you remember where it's from? Book of Genesis chapter, think about that for just a second. Genesis 1, when does the fall take place, Bible scholars? Genesis 3-ish, yeah. So what chapter are we in now? We're in 1, and the Lord is talking about work. Like work is a part of this good world that is made, and the Lord doesn't just call it good, he calls it very good. And the fall doesn't happen until Genesis chapter 3, in which work becomes tainted and bent. And you can read about it, how there's now thorns and thistles, the sweat of our brow. Work is like bent into something that is not the original intention. But work in and of itself is, in fact, good. The, The theologian Martin Luther, that some of you may know, lived in the 1500s, a Protestant reformer, wrote a lot about theology and rethinking theological ideas. And one of the things that Martin Luther's uh, famous for is his re-thoughts, his rethinking about work. He made people feel encouraged. There was a lot of people farming then and the peasantry. And he said the, the work that people do is like the fingers of God on this earth Work. The Lord is working even in the menial, seemingly menial tasks of our life, our waking hours. I think about the, the work philosophy. You ever seen the show Dirty Jobs? Mike Rowe is the, I think about that, like here's this guy, the general overarching uh, idea of the show is to give some of these jobs that are just people to say, oh, those are dirty jobs. Those are jobs that no one wants. And it's like, no, actually these are very important in our world. Think about uh, plumbers. If we didn't have plumbers, for instance, we wouldn't have clean drinking water. You flush the toilet, nothing would happen. It would just be a matter of time till we would all die without plumbers. Am I crazy? Right? Like that's what would happen without clean water. And you think about like the menial task of doing that. No, that's the fingers of the Lord in this world. And I want to argue that it's not so much what you do since work is good, that, but it's really how you do it. 
And certainly, I think some of you are probably thinking of exceptions. Certainly, there's illegal occupations that are bringing disorder. Don't think about those. Think about the good work, the average day's work, a good day's work. And I would argue that it's really more important about how you do what you do than what you do. That's a message uh, for a long time, I think 15 years or something, I was a college pastor, a college leader, leading youth groups, leading a college ministry at the New Life North. And uh, I would give this message, and I think it would really encourage people. I would say that really, you know, there's a lot of stress with people in their 20s or going up to their 20s, thinking about college, thinking about what they want to do, thinking about careers, a lot of stress, a whole lot of stress. And I would try to encourage them and say, well, really, in the end, it's not what you choose to do as a profession, but really how you do it that is going to make the Lord happy. I think of this story, I, I heard about it um, Last year, uh, if, you, if you're familiar with the Cosby show of the 1980s, uh, there was a guy named Jeffrey Owens who is now 58, but then in the 80s he was the young, uh, if, you, if you remember the show, he was the son-in-law that was kind of goofy, and he's an actor, Jeffrey Owens, and recently, just last year, uh, he was just working a regular job. He was in the grocery uh, Trader Joe's somewhere in uh, New Jersey, and a lady noticed that it was him. It's was like, whoa, here's this famous person that's now working the grocery. And so she took out her phone and she took a picture of him in order to like kind of just show the world, to shame this guy, really. Like, what's wrong with our world? And then this picture last year went viral. It's like, yeah, look at this guy. He used to be famous. Now look at him. And it's like, what a sick world we live in, by the way. But this guy, Jeffrey Owens, goes on to do some interviews. And he's, he's an incredible actor. He's a Yale graduate. He was waiting on some acting jobs. And he went on these interviews saying, well, you know, the, the Cosby show kind of really the reruns aren't being rerun anymore because of Bill Cosby and the news about him. So he hasn't had those funds coming in. And he went on to say that he's a Shakespearean actor in training and, and doing all this stuff in that world. And he was waiting on some acting jobs and in the meantime, got a job at the grocer. And what is wrong with that? Say nothing, nothing at all that we in the United States have this, this idea that some jobs are better than others, even two jobs that pay the same, well, one's considered awesome work, one's considered, it's like, no, 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 no. In the kingdom of God, work is good. Yes, hey, can I get an amen? Yeah. Amen. I think there's this idea this, that professions need to define us. I think it's unfortunate that in our day and age, it's, you know, what's, what's your name, where are you from, and then, what do you do? And the answer to that is, well, what's your job? And if you don't have a job, uh, if you're a student, it's like, uh, or if you're, you're just a full-time parent, just like you feel this shame in our culture. And may that not be in the church. I want to encourage you this morning that the work you do is good. Yes. I think about, um, this famous doctor, uh, the early 1900s, that became a minister. He was a medical doctor turned uh, minister. And he left that field because he saw so many people just devoting their life to a profession and then letting that profession 
define them. He said so many people's epitaphs, like what goes on their uh, tombstone, should read these doctors. He said, born a doctor, or sorry, born a, a, a human, died a doctor. That so much of their life was influenced by who they are as far as their profession. And we don't have to do that. As believers, as Christians, we know who we are in Christ, and we don't have to let a profession define us. In a, in a funny way, I remember living in L.A. Uh, just for a year in Pasadena, and I was at the social gathering. Uh, some friends, and it turned into this uh, just a fun get-together, and somebody said, hey, do you know how you'll know if there are any actors here? And I said, how? How will I know if there are any actors here? And they don't worry. They'll tell you. <laughs> And that could be true of a lot of different professions. Like, don't worry. Like, these things that end up defining these jobs, these professions end up defining us. And I pray that should not be. We can, but we shouldn't be more invested in our work ending than the ends that the Lord has for us. Let me say that again in a different way that, that I think we just often think about what is our job providing rather than how is it aligning itself with what the Lord is doing. This sermon, I pray, I hope just encourages you that as you're working, as you're feeding kids, as you're scrubbing the sink, as you're cleaning the bathroom, like this is the fingers of God in this world bringing order, which brings us to this last point. Point number three, realign I'm trying to play on words a little bit. Realign your line of work with God's purposes. Realign your line of work. And, and once again, your line of work may look like uh, retirement. It may look like doing the laundry. It may look like parenting. It may look like being a student or an intern where you're actually not getting paid. You're actually paying to do this work. Whatever it is, realign that work with God's purposes. Let me ask you a question. Question for everybody in here. Question is, what does it look like to be a Christian in your job, in your profession, whatever you do, whether it's paid or unpaid, your line of work? What does it look like to be a Christian in that line of work? Some, some of you might say things that, that people could see and visualize like, oh, in my line of work, I, it means wearing a Christian t-shirt. Or in my line of work, it means saying, God bless you. Or in my line of work, it might mean, uh, I wrote down some ideas here, praying before a meal. I know uh, a lot of you in the secular fields, I know some of you um, that have clients and you take them out to lunch. And I've heard Craig Mabus to honor him. He does this before every meal. He says, I'm a Christian. Can I just pray for this meal and, 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 and bless the meal? And a hundred out of a hundred times, he hasn't had anyone say, no way. People are like, yeah, I'll, yeah, sure, go ahead, pray. And sometimes that leads to conversation. So for him, like that's what that could mean, being a Christian at work. But may I add something? Uh, being a Christian at work may be uh, wearing the Christian t-shirt or saying God bless you or, or it may mean some things you don't do like maybe you don't get involved when all the guys start telling dirty jokes or maybe it doesn't mean going out to drink after work every day. Maybe it means some of those things but what it should mean is doing your work really, really well. Being the best that you can at your 
job. I think about like different professions. I'm looking at Keith Hobbacker, who's a pilot. Like, what's it mean to be a Christian pilot? Well, it means to fly the plane safely, to land. That's what that means. And it could mean other things too. Like maybe he could pray. Maybe he could have conversations that are godly. Maybe be an ethical pilot. But for goodness sakes, what it means is to be a safe, good pilot. What's it mean to be a Christian janitor? Well, it means to be the best darn Christian janitor. Clean things with knowing that this is the fingers of the Lord working in this world. Let me tell you a story about uh, a guy I knew who was a Christian janitor. He was a, kind of a janitor maintenance guy. It was a couple years ago. He was at a, a Christian camp, got a job at one of these camps that bring in uh, high school students for a week and they show them a great time. There's the blob and the lake. There's just fun. There's the nights of youth rally. So many young adults uh, are turned to Christ and are presented the gospel. And his role in this whole camp, um, and it was a, I wasn't going to say the name of camp, but it was a young life camp. And they just do things with excellence. And so the excellence that this guy had to carry out was being a janitor. Clean the floors, clean the bathrooms, fix some stuff. Like that was his role in this process. And it's a, it's a worthy role, right? Like he got a job, he goes up there. It's, it's all a part of the thing. Like if the toilets aren't flushing, then the kids aren't going to be going to youth rallies that night. Like there's going to be bigger problems than having a meeting. If <laughs> Let's not talk about it. So he is the maintenance guy and a janitor, and he keeps, unfortunately, um, kind of not doing what he's supposed to be doing. In his mind, he's, 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 he's talking with the kids and spending like an hour here and there uh, listening to the kids' stories. And his boss graciously says, hey, man, we, we all have different roles here. Your role is, is to fix some stuff and to clean some stuff. And why don't you let the, the camp counselors, the camp mentors, the youth pastors, the youth leaders, why don't you let them have these conversations with the kids. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple days go by. He does the same thing. It's like involved in an afternoon conversation with some kids. And I'm sure the conversation was good. I'm sure the conversation was uplifting. I'm sure he listened well, but he missed an afternoon of work. And it's like, man, th this needed to be done. And this isn't done. So here's another warning. And after the third warning, this guy was let go from that job. Why? Well, because the work he was doing, like he thought in his head, like, oh, the work of talking with the students was more important than the job he was getting paid for, cleaning and maintaining. And in the kingdom of the God, work is good. Work is good. And see, I think we all know that um, work has been bent, work has been spoiled, of course, by the fall and the disruption that, of this world that we live in. And um, I think about the quote, uh, maybe you've heard it before, find something you'll love and you'll never work a day in your life. Have you heard this quote? Can I call baloney to that? Like there's, uh, there's, there's parts of every job that are just bent, that just aren't, there's hard parts of work involved. There's things that I love to do. I love meeting with guys and praying with them. I love preaching, like right now, like what I'm doing, I love this. I love the week it takes to, to think about the text and scripture reading. I love that my wife is the worship leader and that, that we get to work together. There's parts of my job that I absolutely love. And I had a pastor tell me that he, um, he loves being a pastor. If it only weren't for the people, the church would be perfect. <laughs> it's like, man, that is messed up. But, but now that I'm a pastor, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. 
<laughs> there's in any of our jobs, there's things we love. And, and maybe you're in a career that you love. And yet maybe there's policies or red tape or hard decisions or hard people that just like, like it's, I could just want to call baloney on the thing that says, you know, find something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Well, baloney, there's parts of your work that are hard and the fall has happened. And sometimes we just don't feel like we're accomplishing anything. And yet, uh, to encourage you, we are. Working is like the fingers of God in this world happening. And God is like tilling the soil and using us. And it's a beautiful thing. Let me end with this story. It's, uh, it's not mine. It comes from uh, a writer. Uh, very, uh, he's not well known. He's, his name is J.R.R. Tolkien. Anybody heard of him? <laughs> is there any Tolkien nerds in here? Like, oh, a couple. Okay, yeah, Carl. Good, good. There's like nerds and then there's like super nerds. And I know a few super nerds in my life, uh, Tolkien super nerds, who are learning the Elvish language, which is a fictional language and a fictional book. And elves aren't real. So the whole, the whole people group or whatever, that's fictional. And, the, and this is just weird. And I try to never make fun of anyone from the pulpit. But, but if you're learning Elvish, like it's hard to to restrain myself. Why? Because I'm jealous. I'm jealous that your life is such that you have time to learn a fictional language. I'm just jealous. So I will make fun of you because I'm jealous of you. If you're so into Tolkien that you're learning the Elvish language. And anyways, moving on. So J.R.R. Tolkien, John Ronald Rule Tolkien wrote uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, these wonderful books in the English writing world. Like he's, he's there, he's at the top, he's an incredible writer. He wrote a book and a lot of people, it's a very short book, maybe 20 pages. Uh, Tree and Leaf is the name of this book. You can go look at it. And it's a lot of people say that he wrote it kind of to encourage himself because he would look at his own writing and like many of us in the creative field, uh, I guess I'm not really in the creative field, but so many creatives are so hard on themselves. And think about like J.R.R. Tolkien, like he's the man. Like there's, he's, we have, if anybody is a writer, he's a writer. And he would look back on some of his own writings and just feel like, oh, I haven't accomplished anything. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't given it my all. And he would, he would terrorize himself over passages and writings and, and, and he would just, just mutilate himself in his mind thinking he was not doing good enough. Anyways, he writes a story and I think a lot of people think that this story helped him to try to encourage himself with his own writing. It's an allegory. It's called The Tree and Leaf. And it's about a guy named Mr. Neggle. And if you're from England, to neggle, a verb, means to waste your time. To neggle around would be someone that's like here and there and always jumping from project to project and never completing anything. And that's what this guy in the story does. He jumps around, he's a painter, he stinks at painting, but he, he wants to be a painter and a better painter. And he has this vision in his head of this forest that he wants to paint. He keeps seeing it in his mind's eye. He has this vision of a beautiful forest that he wants to paint. The story starts off with, there once was a little man named Negel that had a long journey to make. And so the story is kind of about him preparing for this journey, which, by the way, spoiler alert, it is him preparing for death, this allegory. He's, he's on this long journey. He's going to take this long journey to another distant land. So he's preparing for that journey. 
while being a painter and all his neighbors come around to kind of just tell him how bad his painting stinks and he should be doing other things and you need to be mowing your lawn. You have other work to do. Why are you wasting your time on this painting? You're not even that good. And he continues to paint. He has this idea in his head of this forest to paint and he just can't get it right. He paints, he tries, he paints a tree. He's like, that's not right. He ends up just like finding like one leaf from this vision that he has and he starts to paint this leaf and spends days and days and weeks and years painting a leaf like just spending all his time spending this uh, times painting this leaf and he even realizes that it's not it's not perfect it's not that good i've spent all this he's got this huge canvas that takes up his whole wall which ends up in the story like his roof starts leaking so he needs a piece of canvas to cover the hole in his roof he ends up using that canvas so it's just like what has this guy done in his life he's painted a leaf on a campus like on a canvas like what a loser like this little, tiny little thing and he's not even that good at it and as he's preparing for this trip he's packing he ends up going on the trip to this far away distant land an allegory for the kingdom of God and many of you know Tolkien was a devout Christian and would often bring some of those Christian themes in his fiction that he would write he gets to this faraway land it's beautiful it's wonderful and what does he see he sees the forest he sees the tree that he's been trying to paint and he sees the leaf and he's like, this is it. This is what my vision was. This is what I was trying to paint. It all makes sense now that there is this real kingdom of heaven, as, as I would say. And we maybe only get to do a tiny little piece. And it ends up on this earth feeling like nothing. But it's partnering with and pairing with the real, the kingdom of God that we get to be a part of. And the story goes on to say that this canvas was taken from the roof long after Mr. Nagel was gone. And someone recognizes that this leaf is just absolutely beautiful. And it gets put into a museum and it's placed there for people to gather around and see this beautiful painting. Although it is just one little leaf of this bigger picture, it is beautiful and it is wonderful and it was Mr. Neggle's life work and at the time he felt it was nothing and he felt his life was worthless but it ended up pairing itself with God's purposes. I think about this when I was thinking about the the, the mystery of communion. Every Sunday we, we take communion. Brett's going to come in just a minute and lead us to the table but the mystery of communion we take this tiny piece of bread, we dip this bread into this cup, and then we eat it, and it's just this tiny thing. But what if this is but a piece of the kingdom's feast that is coming when we can look upon God and say, God, this has all been your work. Anything I have done on this earth has, has been like your fingers on this earth and me just partnering with what it is that you are doing would you stand with me this morning? The band, you can, you can come up. And I'd love for you to, to bow your head and, and receive a blessing, receive encouragement this morning. Lord, as we pray to you and think about our lives, think about the, the work that we do, whatever that work is, Lord, I pray this week that we will remember this encouraging message that you, Lord, are, are in us, and your work on this earth is like the, your fingers tilling the soil and we simply get to be like the farmers on this earth. 
cultivating, caring for this world. Lord, encourage us. Help us to see things as you see them. Help us to see work as you see it. That the kingdom is coming. That you are um, working on this earth in us and through us. Lord, it's all to you. You are the one who works miracles. You are the one who has given us your life so that on the cross, your death, so that we may live. Lord, it's all yours. It's all your work. And we glorify and praise your holy name.